Hello and welcome to The Fandamentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Sorry, did I hit my head and wake up in patriarchal bullshit land? Don't put me in charge! It certainly worries me to make self-defeating mistakes out of fear of appearing weak. You were right. We are from different worlds. That is a failing indeed, but I cannot laugh at it. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. That song you just heard is called Good Riddance by Ars Sonar, which is available in the Free Music Archive, along with a lot of other really, really good free music, royalty-free stuff, and Creative Commons is the best, guys. <laughs> My name is Kylie, and here with me are Gretchen. Hello. And Julia. Hey. The three of us write and edit for thefandamentals.com for fundamentally sound fandom analysis, uh, bringing you all sorts of news, reviews, podcasts, analysis, uh, yeah, a lot of analysis, some video game stuff, yes. you know, all that, just geeky things, some entertainment, breaking news. We try. We try. Hey, so we skipped last week because of the holidays. The so, holidays? The holidays, <laughs> yes. And I was wondering, how were your holidays? Um, like, not crazy, which is good, because my family can tend to be. Um, but I'm just tired. Like, it was a lot of, a lot of energy involved. But, I mean, I may have convinced my sister to start reading the Song of Ice and Fire books. <laughs> that is She's a... She's a show only. Like it's taken me three years. Like she's a show only watcher, and every time she and I have had this conversation, she's like, oh, "I don't know. I just want to watch the show." But apparently, she was ter- She didn't want to read the books because she's fine with watching a show that's about nihilism and seems to hate religion, but she doesn't want to read books that are like that. Question: and she, Did she use the word nihilism? Yeah. She must be your sister then, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I come from a family of dorks. Um, so yeah, she apparently had been assuming that like the nihilism and the very, uh, obvious agenda against all forms of religion that we see on the show was rooted oh in God. the books. So other question, why is she watching the show? That's what I don't understand. <laughs> it's like, if you, if this bothers you so much, why are you still watching the show? I mean, what are does cool she have a podcast about it or? No, she just she just watches the show. Does she um, want to come on Unabashed Book Snobbery and give her thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I didn't ask her about that. Um, mm. But so, yeah, once I disabused her of the notion that it was that the books are nihilist and hate all religion, she was like, oh, maybe I should read them. I was like, you should. You may not want to watch the show again, but but you should definitely read the books. <laughs> At any rate, at, like, no matter what you think of the show, you'll at very least be starting to cringe at the dialogue and at, like, how much worse it is mm-hmm. in terms of just how people yes. sound when they talk. Yes. Well, good. That's good. I think turning fresh book snobs is the perfect way to celebrate the holiday yes. season. I agree. What about you, Julia? Was yours stressful at all or good? Or- uh, well, I decided this year that I wasn't going to let me s- let it stress me out because... I officially don't give a shit, I guess. So I just, yeah, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to show up and try not to be grumpy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I guess I did that. I bought the exact minimum amount of presents and apparently like I won presents. So. Oh, that's what my sister said. It's not quantity, it's quality. That's always the case. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I totally half-assed all the presents. I don't know. Don't tell anyone, I guess. My well, father was very about- happy with his biography of um uh, of the Kaiser. He was very excited about it. Oh. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. That is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Um and, yeah. For me, the first night of Hanukkah was when I had a layover at the Dallas airport because of a business trip. So that was a little stressful. I got this app where you can like take a fake menorah and light candles and stick it Mm. on like any background you want so i took a picture of the like you know the seat thing the what's the full tray table 
Yes, the tree table. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) My mind just like blanked on that. Uh, So I I, I, like kind of made it look like the menorah was sitting on there with like lit candles. And I sent it to my mom. And she's like, oh, how did you do this? They let you take a menorah on there? I was like, (laughs) yes, they're they're really lax about open flames on on airplanes these days. I asked you if it was an LED. No, it was just a, it yeah. was just like Photoshop. I'm sure you basically. can get like Hanukkahs where you like screw in little LEDs instead of like candles. Yeah, I've got I've got one. It's an eight bit. Yeah. Um, and then when I was in college, because you couldn't have like you know candles in your dorm room, I used like tea light LEDs, and I would just put one on top of I don't know, like a little toothpaste cap or something so that it would be the shamash and it would stand up uh but yeah i did that and then i actually had a real christmas too with my stepmom's family and i brought griffin to it who had never experienced christmas before ever so that was fun and you went wow. like wintertime paddle boarding i was very concerned uh Wait. yeah we went wintertime paddle boarding in water that was like 57 degrees so nothing would have happened <laughs> if we had fallen in it would have been warmer than the air and then oh. uh, he had nutmeg for uh, nutmeg. He had eggnog for the first time and realized that nutmeg tastes terrible and no one should ever have fresh grated nutmeg because it tastes like soap. <laughs> yeah, Kylie I, got me an awesome present. Who did? What? Kylie. Yeah, she got me a workout shirt that says I did. "Smashing the patriarchy is my cardio." I'm oh, very Kylie. excited about it. I didn't put Gretchen. I didn't put your present in the mail, and it was your <laughs> birthday too. Oh my god, this is terrible. I am so offended right now. <laughs> That, okay, I didn't, getting... that I didn't get a present I had no idea was coming to me. I'm so really mad because like, you'll like it. Oh, I'm terrible. Okay. Uh, you will get a belated present. Or will you at some point? Or will I? <laughs> or will you? <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, so those were our holidays. Uh, you'll be listening to this podcast after the New Year's. But we are back a little bit in time. So, hey, have we missed any fandom news over the holiday season? Um, everything is being revived, right? Everything. Yeah. So, um, NBC is eyeing an Office revival, which is like, no. wait, what? It, the Office? It's not even like, it, yeah, it's just picking back up with them. It's not even a new show or like a reboot or anything. It's oh. a revival. So the actors can't find enough steady work, is what they're telling us. Well, Steve Carell doesn't want to be in it, so it would be a Michaelless Office revival. Oh, which so why are they doing this? Because uh, it was successful, I'm guessing. <laughs> um, and maybe Ed Helms wants to do it or something. I don't know. I don't even know if John Krasinski would be in it. Like, I have no idea anything about this, but they're eyeing it. It's being eyed. Okay. And okay. I oh, man, I love mockumentaries. I'm kind of like done with it, though. Mm. You know. Uh, Mad About You is also being eyed for a revival. What's that show that got revived? Uh, that 90s sitcom with, like, the gay man and the lady with the really annoying voice. Oh. Will and Grace? Uh, Will and Grace. Yeah. It's actually doing really well and it's apparently yeah. really good. I haven't watched it. Uh, maybe, it- hopefully it's less, like, aged badly than <laughs> it was in the 90s. Oh, hi, baby. Yeah, ignore the crying baby. <laughs> She was eating she's, cereal earlier. It was she's adorable. She's the best podcaster. Yeah. But, uh, she has opinions. Yeah, yeah, no, Will and Grace is doing really well. So I think that's why they're also looking yeah. at revivals. Um, there's also some kind of Ryan Murphy dance musical series, which was officially ordered uh, at FX. Oh. So it's called Pose. Um, yep. Okay. okay. Tatiana Aslani uh, isn't in it anymore, so I officially have no interest. Yeah, Tatiana Maslany was going to be in it, but now she's not, and she's been recast with uh, Charlene Woodward from The Leftovers. Woodard, I'm sorry, Charlene Woodard from The Leftovers. I don't know. It's uh, it stars out of James Vanderbeek is going to be starring in it from Dawson's Creek. What? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So I don't know. He still be really... does things. Look, dance musical series is fine with me. I want to check. I I want more musical dramedies. I think that's what everyone should have. Yeah. Um, We can't go three seconds without some kind of Star Wars news. So it's. Oh my God, this poster. I like, I don't know if I want this to be real or not. So there's a poster that was supposedly leaked for the solo movie and it's like chewy photobombing it. But it's like in Ukrainian. Yeah. So no one knows if it's like official or not. It, it the composition is 
something else. Uh, Donald Glover looks great in it, though. Right. Yeah. I totally want it to be real because I want the Han Solo movie to be a dumpster fire. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's any chance of that not being the case at this point. Just No, my biggest yeah. fear for this movie is that it's going to be fine to mediocre. Mm-hmm. And then we'll just be like, well, it's not even like funny, you know? Right, it's not like, going to be. Th- that's what I mean by I want it to be a dumpster fire. Like, I, right. I don't want it to just be mediocre and kind of, okay, that's a movie. I want it to be so bad that I can just, like, laugh at how ridiculous it is. I want it to be a dumpster fire. You want it to be the next room. Yeah. I just want it to be, like, so, like, why did they make this movie? This is absurd, but funny. But Even I can at least enjoy it- myself mocking it. Well, look, right, at, like- look at Olivia Clark in this poster. We're going to have to link this poster, obviously. Oh, my gosh. But yeah. She looks like she's trying so hard just in the poster. Yeah, it does. See, because I would rather, this is what I say, I like Attack of the Clones more than I like Revenge of the Sith, because you can't really mock Revenge of the Sith, it's just boring, it's just people walking and talking for most of it, and then action set pieces that don't really make much sense. But then Attack of the Clones is hilarious, every inch of that movie is hilarious, you've got like, you know, Obi-Wan on his weird Scooby-Doo mission, you've got Anakin (laughs) flirting with Padme because he's cutting fruit, like, it's perfect, it's a perfect film, so I want- Remember how she can't date because she has a job? Because she's a senator and senators can't have boyfriends. Instantly hilarious. Anyway, we will be we will be talking about Star Wars a little bit later, but first a couple of Disney news, because you can't go two seconds without Disney news. For one, Disney formally bought Fox. I don't remember if we said this on our last podcast. But I think we were final. saying that there was a very uh very, very likely last time. Yeah. yeah, well it happened. So Fox Fox is bought, Disney owns everything. Ha ha ha. <laughs> uh they're also starting their own streaming apps. Uh, th- that's going to rival Netflix, and because they own so much intellectual property right now, it will probably be a necessity. So- yeah, which is really annoying. I really, the last thing I need is another eleven ninety nine prescription subscription in my life. <sighs> yep. Yeah, it's just bad. It's just bad. So this whole thing about net neutrality, we're all going to be paying out the nose anyway for our stupid streaming apps. So- yep. There you go. Yeah, great. Uh, also, the Moana directors say that an LGBTQ princess could be coming soon to Disney. In a blink and you'll miss it kind of way, probably. Well, first of all, yeah. Baby steps? I don't know. <laughs> How much do these directors know? Yeah. How much power do they have? What does soon mean? And how explicit would this be? Especially since Disney princesses tend to be young. <laughs> like, right. You know, like, like, in yeah. the article that I read... The context was more along the lines of, like, it ought to be in the sense that, like, my, like now's the time. Right. Like, Disney has been um, doing a lot more, like, Moana was really groundbreaking in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the idea is, like, it should be because we're at a point in time at which that's something that we should be doing. Yeah. Well, and I mean, which, to your point, yeah, being- we should be. Yeah, to your point of them being younger, Julia, I mean, okay, they're all young, but they all somehow end up with a dude, so... No, not le- not recently. Hmm? Hmm? Huh. Moana didn't end up with a dude. Well, yeah, neither right. did, um, neither did Merida. Yeah. Or Elsa, and Elsa is the most obviously quote-coded lesbian that there is. <laughs> like, sorry, it's just that's the case. I'm not so. sure they did that on purpose, though. I think they just don't know the difference between lesbian and single sometimes. Uh, maybe. I mean, she does <laughs> sing a song about, like, coming out and live honestly. Yeah. You know? It's kind of hard to accidentally write that. No, I, I think they accidentally wrote it. <laughs> I do think they accidentally wrote it. <laughs> oh, my God. Disney's the worst. Either way, coming soon, maybe there will be a blink-and-you-miss-it moment at the end of a Disney movie where they get a girlfriend. Right. So... And everyone will be like, oh, it's so nice that they're such good friends. <laughs> or, or, or she doesn't like labels. Yes. She just prefers, she just prefers to be with people. Right. No labels. Um, okay. So we're running up on time for this news. Two more quick things. Uh, three more, I guess. Two, one is that there's two new Steven Universe episodes coming out on the Hooray! 5th. Yay! And we have to announce this because otherwise no one would know. Ha ha yep. ha. Thank you, Cartoon Network. <laughs> Um, the second thing is Stranger Things <clears throat> was confirmed for a third season. That's not, not shocking. shocking at all. No, nope. I should, I should watch it, but it's really everything I don't particularly care about in media. 
So, like, I'm not really into creepy stuff. I'm not into 80s nostalgia. So it's just, okay, this exists. Um, I don't know. I hear it's it can be well It can be your fandom resolution of engaging in a new piece of media. Oh, not that one. No spoilers. Uh, and then the final thing is that the Doctor Who Christmas special aired. So and it didn't, Jodie- the world didn't explode because the Doctor was a woman. Right? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the world is still here. Jodie Whittaker existed as a doctor for about two seconds, and then the episode ended. Yay! <laughs> and, yep, the universe is still fine. Well, you think that, Gretchen, but did you know that a new Star Wars film came out called The Last Jedi, and it was the wait, worst thing ever? Wait, what Star Wars? And okay, that wasn't a good transition. That. How are you going to make music into that transition? <laughs> no, I'm just saying, what's coming up is we are going to be having a quick talk about the last jedi reactions and the controversy surrounding it and there's also some legit uh criticisms of it too we don't want to pretend there's not but just in general the like kind of quote-unquote fanboy reaction that has dominated the internet dialogue we are then going to continue with our got prequels versus uh got no. versus prequels sequence yeah yep and then we are finally going to finish off with some personal fandom resolutions that we have and our hopes for 2018. Yeah. Uh, yep. So that's it. Coming, <laughs> coming up. Let's, uh, try let's to- do it. Star Wars. So, um, we will be saving a fuller discussion of Star Wars The Last Jedi until we can get our other Star Wars rewatch members, Ian and Zach, who I've mm-hmm. been doing um, our Star Wars rewatch series on for the past year. We want to have a full discussion with them. So we're going to save like the vast majority of our discussion for that episode. So stay tuned. And yeah. If and we don't re- cover something, like, know that we do have plans. <laughs> For sure. And and check out – be sure to check out um, – I'll link – do you guys have, like, a tag? I'll link the tag. We'll yep. add one. Um, yep. I'll link the tag for the rewatches because they're, they're really good essays. And they kind of uh, – it's a pretty objective look because Zach is like, a super prequel fan. Yep. So he makes me at least think before going back to horribly hating them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I will say, like, I've grown – it – um. The rewatch did help me appreciate some things that I didn't like first time through. Um, yeah. With both the prequels and with The Force Awakens. Um, so, yeah, they're really good. Uh, we had a fun time doing it, and we definitely want to have a really long conversation with them. So for now, we're going to be focusing on reactions and controversy, specifically what we've been seeing around the internet. Yeah, so the um, this is a film of controversy, and I wrote a piece called The Last Jedi is the A Feast for Crows of the Star Wars universe. But really, that that can kind of stand on its own without even the comparison to A Song of Ice and Fire. Um, however, what I did want to say in that, and I think I did say it, is that like we're not trying to lump all criticisms of this film together. There's, you know, one very valid camp of this, and I guess for lack of a better way of putting it, it's more the reactions you'd see on Tumblr over Twitter, just because of Mm. user base and the kind of, like, uh, voices that are leveraged and what you can see. And there is, there is significant backlash against the treatment of characters of color, specifically Poe and Finn, who maybe leaned into some stereotypes. Like, I know they were playing up that, oh, Finn was just a janitor thing again, even though, like, you know, the, the other canon stuff in the extended universe yep. completely counters that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there was a lot of, like, physical, like, Finn was knocked on his butt a lot. Right. He was like randomly slapped by Hux, stuff like that. So there's just this kind of uncomfortable treatment of them. And then a sort of attitude of, you know, Canto Bite was sort of sidelining them. And that's one where I think your mileage has to vary uh, a, a great deal on that. Yep. Like to me, that rewatching it especially, I went to see it twice. I went to see it last night again. Yep. I saw, I've seen it twice too. Yeah, to me, that's the thematic core. Nothing really feels out of place, but I totally understand why people would feel, oh, you know, the focal point of the movie really was this Rey-Kylo relationship and and Luke, you know, in the middle of that and the Force users and this felt more ancillary. It's just them kind of fucking up, which, yes. Everyone yeah, did, that's but, the point. 
but <laughs> like one of yeah. the ma- one of the major themes of the film is failure and how yeah. we react to it and what we do with that. And that so... was extremely explicitly explicated by a Yoda ghost. So right, yeah. I don't know why people are having trouble with it. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I think it's there's people that have trouble with engaging with the themes mm. because they were feeling like viscerally uncomfortable watching it. Yeah. From that angle of having, you know, like a cultural background where this would be upsetting to see. And right. then the criticisms we wanted to focus on in this podcast, because that's completely valid. And like, we're three white women watching this movie. It's just that's not the background we have. Right. So that's not how we engaged with it. And and I don't want to like lump everyone together. Like, oh, all people who aren't white have the same reaction yeah. to it. Like, of course not. Um, I think every person probably had their own unique takeaway. I'm just saying there are criticisms from that angle. And that's something to read on and right. listen to because I think that's pretty important. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully, J.J. Abrams will have a more diverse writer's room for episode nine. That would be really nice. Right. Yeah. Because <clears throat> I think a huge – like some of these things could have been alleviated or at least yeah. like presented in a different way if – I, there was a more diverse writer's room to be like, hey, like overall, like the theme of this arc is really good, but like let's make me tweak it so that mm-hmm. it f- plays less into these like uncomfortable dynamics, especially with things like Finn being physically assaulted so many times. Like, hey, let's maybe not do that yeah, so much. Especially on rewatch, I was like, oh my god, he gets hit again. Like, what is happening? It's yeah, like, I mean, every like, three seconds. Like, you can tell it's not like, like it's because the actor's name is escaping me. Like, he's so good at that slapstick. That's probably why they did it. You know, but just, yeah, like you can't escape those implications. Oh, absolutely. And and you can also tell it's completely unintentional on the part of Ryan Johnson, but that doesn't mean the implication isn't there. However, the other controversy and reactions that we're (sighs) referring to are the people that are saying, there's only 36 movies with a white straight male (laughs) protagonist this year again. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's 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 a very this is sort of the reactions you see on Twitter more mm-hmm. where it's kind of for, again for lack of a better term fanboys it's you know more the male white crowd that has sort of had a little bit of a gatekeepery attitude and of course I'm broad brushing with white male fans because I know many of them they're pleasant <laughs> but <laughs> I'm even dating one. <laughs> but there has been backlash, and I think some of it's fueled by a little bit of anxiety of not really latching onto these characters, probably because of what Julia was saying with, oh, we only have 36 white male protagonists <laughs> this year. And then partially also because this film was so destabilizing to the core of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Like, the, the, to me, it's very explicit that in The Last Jedi, a significant part of what The Last Jedi is trying to do is say – the whole like singular white male hero who comes and saves the world is a narrative that we're jettisoning as the mm-hmm. core of Star Wars. Like that's no longer going to be the core Star Wars story. And I'm you sorry, don't... I think that's like the best thing that could possibly I happen. Know. I'm super excited <laughs> by it, but I can understand how for mm. people like for a certain group of fans. Yeah, well like, for the for the yeah, the, the people upsetting. if you understand my euphemism, the people who are the most kind of they feel the most displaced right. by the fact that there are only thirty six of a certain kind of people these year. Um, you know, like th- this was one of their bastions, I suppose, you know. Right. Right. And it's been invaded. Right. And which is, which is, which is funny to me that like, (laughs) what's amusing to me is like, I engage with a lot of the new Mm -hmm. canon extended material. And to me, like, it's very obvious that's what the extended canon material is doing. Like, it's super obvious that like the goal, one of the major goals of the Star Wars franchise right now is to be as diverse as possible. And so when I went into The Last Jedi, I was like, oh, they're finally making that obvious on screen. Like, they're finally bringing that theme that they've had basically since the beginning because you can see the threads of it in the force awakens like oh they're finally making it like absolutely explicit on screen that star wars is going to be about a diverse cast of people and that there's no like they're trying to de-center like the jedi force wielder narrative and they're trying to like expand it to be about like not just racially and you know um gender diversity but also about like Heroes can be someone who doesn't wield the force or yeah. wields the force yes. in a different way or someone who may have a connection to the force but can't wield it like Rose. 
Like, Rose has yes. a connection to the Force, but she's not a Force wielder. Like, they're clearly trying to do this. And, like, I've been seeing that in the books and comics for, like, the and last also, year. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You've been seeing that in the books and comics. Oh, yeah, no. Like, no, it's, it's also, anime, like, like, there's there's an added... There's an added like layer of sophistication now to the universe. Yeah. You know, cause when you have that like monomyth with the hero who saves the world, you, like the story always finishes. There's that like happily ever after. And mm-hmm. that's also being very explicitly judged, not just by Star Wars, but like a lot of well-established franchises are doing this. You're like, you know, 30 years later, oh, all the problems haven't been magically fixed. Right. You know? And you know, I'm sorry. I was just going to say it's into the woods, really. It's the second act of into the woods. Exactly. And and like, you know, you have like Leia there still like 30 years later. Now she's an old lady and she's still like fighting these same battles that she was fighting when she was 18 years old. Yep. And like, that's, that's the way it is. (laughs) And and I I think that like more and more established kind of stories that used to be one of those 36 Mm -hmm. is, is changing that. And that, yeah. And that's upsetting to people too. Right. And I think too, you know, I'm a, for the most part, a fan of red letter media in their takeaways and, and what they say about stuff. We, we quote them a lot for the prequels. Yeah. And, and that, but, um, there's a lot I disagree with them on what they say too. Uh, specifically, yeah. they did this whole segment on Force Awakens about, Disney's diversity feels very researched and methodical and you don't need to you diversity is fine but you shouldn't be like concentrating on it because little but kids little girls to. little girls always could play with Luke Skywalker action figures when they were growing up and little up. boys and can play like, with little Rey action figures what's your point exa- exactly <laughs> and that's that's what I'm saying like I feel I don't want to just poop on yeah. like white men who don't engage mm-hmm. with these characters but I think there actually is a sort of empathy that hasn't been learned yet in right. terms yeah. of engaging know, with characters we've that aren't you. We've made this point before. It's like when, like that criticism that like, you know, the diversity is like researched and very, very, um, ex- like it's not forced, but like you can tell they're like, oh, we need more diversity. We need to actively make that happen. But like, you, like at this stage, I think but in yes. our social <laughs> development, you have to do that or it won't happen. Right. And it's not because anyone has any malice. It's because, yeah. Still, like, like you know, when you think of a hero, you're always thinking of a white male. And that's not, like, something that anyone's doing because they want to be racist. It's just, I mean, it's so deeply ingrained. Right. Ro- Rose Tico wasn't going to exist for this movie. Originally, mm-hmm. Poe and Finn were going to go to Canto Bight together. And the thing that they were seeing is, like, there's not really, these characters aren't pushing each other. There's not too much tension because they just mm-hmm. get along. And right. I know a lot of Poe Finn shippers would be like, that sounds great. And yeah, like, sure. in a way, that would have been exciting, too. <laughs> but they wanted they wanted to push both these characters to have some kind of growth and yeah. change in perspective. So then they brought in Rose. And, like, the fact that they brought in an East Asian woman instead of just, like, bringing in, like, they could it could have been anyone, right? Right? Yeah, it's Star right. Wars. They can cast anyone. And they purposely chose to have her be there and to have her deliver like the thematic message of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And she had her own arc too. And it's like, oh. And like okay. I, I think like the, the arcs of the three major characters, like the way that they're Four, constructed. Really. Yeah. But like you know, we have that central kind of trio that you always have in Star Wars. I, I think that was just extremely yes. well done. Yep. But like yeah, I think adding Rose was just kind of that that chemical X thing that just made it exceptional to me. Yep. She also, um, she also made it not a trio, like yeah. you said, which I like too. Um, I don't know, I don't know like how much credit to give Ryan Johnson for this. You know what I mean? Cause I feel like some, I, I feel a little bit like he's break stumbling into Legend of Korra. Mm. And it's like, you're doing something really, really cool and subversive here. I don't know if you know how much you are though. Well, you know? and the thing is, is like, with with Lucasfilm Story Group, and I think that this is, again, intentional on their part, like you can't – in the same way that in the movie itself, there's no – they're really – if you're trying to force one central hero, you're not getting the point of the story. Yeah. If the Last yes. Jedi. And I think if you try and put too much into Ryan Johnson, again, you're not getting the point of Star Wars. Because, like, yeah, yeah, he's the director, but, like, he had significant contact with Carrie Fisher. Mm-hmm. Um, she actually had made major changes. She's the one who influenced that final scene with Leia and Haldo. Um, I love that. She That was Carrie Fisher, yeah, who oh did – who was, like, we need to say – who did the whole, like, we say it at the same time, and then Leia says, I've already said it enough. You say it. Like, that was Carrie Fisher. Um, I've read other points of things where um, – 
she, Carrie Fisher had significant influence. Um, all of this had to go through the Lucasfilm story group, which means that Kathleen Kennedy had the final say on everything. Um, oh. Like everything within Star Wars has to be approved of by the story group. Yeah. And, and like that's, that's like, cause like one of the say. things that Red Leader Media was talking about with the prequels is how there's just one person who had too much control. And I, that's something they've definitely addressed. Did I? Yeah, okay. I thought I dropped out yeah. again. I was going to be really No, 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 off. you didn't. We were okay. just like waiting. We were like, yes. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> the, I, yeah, I can only see that as a good thing that they had. Like, I mean, like, you, there is a point where you get into the too many cooks scenario, but. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, like, to me, like, the reason. And it gets like, too big tent and everything like that, but. Right. Yeah. And so, like, to me, like, Louise and I said that is, like, I don't think that we can credit all of this to Ryan Johnson, but I don't think that's a bad thing. No. Like, the yeah. credit goes to everyone who's involved in the process because, like, hey, the whole idea of having a collaborative storytelling, oh, hey, look, that's just kind of what Star Wars is about now. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, if we can just have, you know, more voices from, like, black storytellers, too, then maybe we can avoid these unfortunate implications moving mm-hmm. into episode nine. Right. Yeah, but because, yeah, I, they I, like, I, the whole, like, the whole period in our society where you get credit just for having characters of color is over like you actually have right, to do yeah. something with oh, them now yeah you so, actually have yeah. to watch out for like what yeah. your story could be implying mm-hmm. especially but no like i, I don't want to there are people that just this was not the movie for them there's no accounting for taste but mm-hmm. i do think there is this anxiety underlying some of it or yeah. a lot of it most of it because it's it's destabilizing to what star wars is like you said it rips the story away from not just the white male protagonist but the skywalkers yeah you know yeah race if ray ends up being a skywalker i will be like jj <sighs> abrams you are a hack because the point yeah. is that she's not i mean it was such it was like so fucking on point in that moment that like yeah if they walk back from that which which is funny because i was a huge ray Mm -hmm. skywalker fan and same like a cute like a significant part of that like one i never was (laughs) because shipping um i won't go into more detail than that but i would like to to not see that kill a ship Mm -hmm. um but also because i love i love the the complicated family dynamics that would be involved if this you know what were I, like yeah. a family, if this were like a family discussion, I find that fascinating. But on the other hand, like the more, like the longer I sit on this and the longer I think about The Last Jedi and like the mm. themes and what it's going for, like the less I actually want Rey Skywalker because I do think that would kind of undermine. It was so like, because like the original trilogy kind of relied so much on that kind of like, oh, I've always known it was true. I had this feeling and they just kind of like, you know, you've known all along that your parents just well, abandoned you. <laughs> you know? Well, and they and also she's like, yeah, I kind of did. That whole, yeah. that whole, like, I know this feeling, they kind of call yeah. that out too when she's like, I know Kylo has this good in him. I know he'll mm-hmm. turn. And then, no. Yeah. And that's great too because she basically, she watched Star Wars and she's like, I know how this is going to go. Yeah, right? exactly. Then, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If if I may, and I hope Griffin and I do co-write a piece on this, uh, this movie was what harmonic convergence was in legend of Korra mm. and her past lives got killed and the paradigm of the avatar verse was ripped away and Korra ended up being the decisive protagonist making her own world in it i think ray the point is a little bit like yeah she's she's the jedi of the new world but mm. it's not just about her right it's a bigger thing and that's actually that's what Korra did too because then the spirits yep mm-hmm. right okay. yep so uh speaking of let's talk about ang i mean luke yeah. Who is Tenzin? <laughs> Tenzin. He's Lucas Tenzin. I don't know what you're No, I mean, about. no, because I mean, he's Aang in that, like, a lot yeah. of fans were upset that Aang was kind of deconstructed in Legend of Korra, you yeah. know, and he's, like, ended up from being a bad parent view, and things like that. <laughs> from the point of view of yeah. Ray's storyline, mm. he's Aang. From the point of view of his own storyline, he is Tenzin. Yeah, but I just mean that, like, from what I understand, I've been, like, actively avoiding the fandom discourse because mm-hmm. I, I know I had such a, like, Basically, like, you told me kind of randomly one day, is like, people don't like this movie. And I had this, like, extremely emotional reaction to that. Yeah. So I've been kind of just... <laughs> there's this entire story where I was in the middle of my work day and just, like, yelling on Google Hangouts. But, um... <laughs> but, um... The critics liked it. Uh, the critics, God. Um, just... I think that a lot of people seem to be upset because Luke has kind of, like rejected so much of what we thought he achieved 
Well, to like, I will admit, like this this was the criticism I was most sympathetic to when I first mm-hmm. watched the movie. Um, partly because I I think that they didn't. I mean, I think they didn't handle the flashback scene very well. Um, I think that could have been better and different because um, I don't see like I don't see Luke having a moment where he even considers killing a like a harmless like a a defenseless person in their sleep, um, especially a defenseless child that he's related to well, who hasn't done I mean, anything had, wrong. Right, like he has one line, but he kind of mumbles it where he says like. I saw the death and destruction and pain he was going to cause the people I love, but he kind of mumbled it. So then, like, could we have seen that? Like, this is a visual medium, right? Right. Could right. It would have been show us what's in his head, right? And and it has to be something that's that's worse than what Vader actually did. Yeah, in my opinion, in order for that scene to be consistent, um, but like. That that really is the only point of contention for me. Like, if they had reframed that specific scene, I could have bought – and I still do. I buy everything else. I just still think that that scene is inconsistent with his characterization. But, like, everything else makes sense to me. Like, yeah. did, did do these people – did they not watch The Empire Strikes Back? Where Luke, when he, like, struggles with the Force, is like, I can't do it. It's too hard. Like <laughs> – Luke internalizes everything. Like, of course, the guy who saved Vader would, like, if he failed to save another family member that he loved, would just turn inward and be like, I suck at the Force. I suck at everything. I saved Vader and I failed to save my nephew. And I'm a big fat failure. I'm going to go alone and die because I'm just going to ruin my friends. Like, that makes sense to me. Yeah, and and I'll tell you what why that did work for me, and especially on the second time through, is because his guilt is so palpable. And like, he, you know, he said, like, in my hubris, I thought I could teach him. I was Luke Skywalker. So to me, the idea is like, he looks in his head and he sees that he's quote unquote gone. And yeah, it's drastic. But then like, there's also that self blame of it too. Mm-hmm. I created this. I have to be the one to like, you know, end this just for a second. Um so it like I, I get why it didn't land. I understand why that feels inconsistent, but I just kind of rationalize it against guilt because that's how I watch every piece of media. I think. <laughs> I have a question. Um, do we agree with Luke that the Jedi need to die? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Of the Jedi are assholes. <laughs> I mean, that's the one thing that the prequels actually achieved in telling us, I and mean, I don't think that's what Luke is intended at all. But okay. No, but it's great that it was, he did it very that. well. Yeah. No, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll definitely get more into the deconstructed nature of this movie when we talk to Zach and Ian. Mm. Um, we could just do a full Star Wars episode, all all no holds bars. Yeah, every aspect of it because this this sits really well in with the prequels and the original trilogy. Just this is what a sequel should be, you know? Right. Um. So I think we can get into that, but I guess at the end of the day, like, you know, I've seen it twice. It definitely is better on a rewatch and I yeah. liked it on the first time through. And it's, it's got like, they're like, I like the style of the new Star Wars movies. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I like, I like the tone of them, you know, like, like, like the tone is always kind of balanced on that knife's edge. I really like that. I like the way yeah. they look. It oh my gosh, they're beautiful. Like, oh. This movie is too jokey. It's like, did you watch the original trilogy? Yeah, right. And it's got like, like I, I, I don't know. Just like, I, I love the resistance so much. Like, just you know, like, like, like they actually feel like people who are like, you know, fighting a war. They know that they're gonna lose, and they have that kind of like sense mm-hmm. of humor about it. Like, I love it. <laughs> Sorry, right. and I, I love the new tradition of like opening with a Poe joke. I love it. Right. <laughs> like, oh man, Poe. <laughs> Poe is the best, man. I just, I love. And can we talk feel. about how he was chilling out in Leia's hospital room and how it's totally platonic? How what? Oh my god! It's totally platonic. How he was hanging out in Leia's hospital room the whole time. Oh right, yeah. Okay, the number of times that I leaned over to my husband and was like, "They're totally fucking." <laughs> like he, like by the end of the movie, like he was like, "Stop saying it, Gretchen." I'm like, "But it's true, though." <laughs> I and can we talk about how she, she has, like, a cane and she's in a hospital gown and then she shoots him? <laughs> like, oh I love you! 
Right? But they have to recast her. They have to recast her. They can't yeah. have the third movie without her. I don't I, agree I don't that. think that the third movie would make sense without Leia. I feel sorry for whoever ends up with that job because there's no way they can win, but But yeah. I'll tell you what though, she would Carrie Fisher would be the last person to care. Right? Mm-hmm. Like Carrie Fisher would want it. In my opinion. Like she's the kind Carrie of Carrie Fisher who would, would think that the character is more important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that the character in the story is more important than who plays her. Now now that we have that discussion about the last, the last Jedi, let's transition and talk about the Star Wars movies where the characters weren't especially important, being the prequels. I need someone to show me my place in all this. So we have been doing an ongoing series of comparing <laughs> the two best pieces of media ever, ever. one being Game one being Game of Thrones and the other being the prequels. Star Wars so prequels. We, the Star Wars prequels, yes. So we have talked about things like characterizations, character arcs, uh, budget, I guess, <laughs> pacing. And today we're, we're going to talk about the utilization of action sequences, or as we like to refer, key jingling. <laughs> so I know we've touched on this before with pacing and stuff. But yeah, let's talk about those action set pieces. So let's begin with Star Wars because we were just talking about it. Right. Um, we talk about Star Wars a lot. We do. I, I mean, it's like everywhere it. and it's taken over everything. Mm. I love Star Wars. Yeah. yeah same. But I, I'm sick of that stupid Nissan commercial. Yep. Yeah, I, agree. I don't okay. have cable. All right. <laughs> so yeah, Star Wars. Um, one thing that prequel trilogies had a lot of was flashy action sequences um there were oh my gosh so many lightsaber dance battles (laughs) i mean that's one of my favorite things that the um the arl knots have done is was was point out just how like ridiculously choreographed the lightsaber battles in the prequel trilogy were like no one actually fights like that and they're pretty to look at, but the thing about them too is that they sort of obviously became an end in themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like, especially I mean, the seven, thinking- the forty-five minute long battle at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Oh my gosh! Yep. With, with Obi Wan and Anakin, where even the director said, like, after the first few minutes, those emotional stakes wear off, and you're not really sure why they're still fighting anymore. Yep. So make the fight five minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't Ooh. understand how hard that is. Like the like the fight between Rey and Kylo at the end of Force Awakens is so much more effective. Yeah, and shorter. Just, <laughs> yes. Yep. But uh, yeah. So there's there's that. There are also action set pieces that don't involve lightsabers, like pod racing, oh. and the giant monsters. Well, I guess lightsabers show up at that one, but the giant monsters in uh, Attack of the Clones in the Coliseum. Mm-hmm. Yep. That, oh man, that Coliseum. You know what scene. my favorite prequel fact is. More than half of the deleted scenes from uh, from the Phantom Menace is more pod racing. Ugh, my favorite fact. Yay! That was what <laughs> yeah. that movie needed was longer pod racing scenes. Yeah, there was this whole subplot with this one other pilot and his like family is there and he dies and they're sad. Ben Quadraneros, I think. Yeah, oh. they did. They deleted that. So. <laughs> it's something like that. Okay. Um. And, like, here's the thing. Everyone always is like, oh, you know, the pod racing is the one good part of that movie. I'm like, what? No. Ri- no. Really? Uh, these are people under 20, right? <laughs> it kind of stopped the movie dead mm. to me. Yep. It doesn't um, add anything, but there are And a getting lot there of- is so contrived. Like, right. the one thing, the one thing that, uh, jumps out about it's, um, how it, it's similar to GOT in that way. It's just like you have these battle sequences that they have to get to, and getting there is always so fucking contrived. Like, the way they got them into that pod race was just so stupid and the more you think about it the less it makes sense right right well and to me like it's also pretty obvious that it's that it is actually key jingling that like they're Mm -hmm. so enamored of their ability to do special effects in a way that they couldn't with the original trilogy that like they just like took the ball and ran you know a marathon with it because, like, there's so many, like, space battle scenes, too. Like, it's not just pod racing. There's so many, like, scenes of, like, swooping, diving, fighting through space, which isn't yeah, like bad. Yeah, that it, were very impressive when you had to do them with models. 
Right. <laughs> like, yeah. and they're not bad in and of themselves, mm-hmm. but it's so obvious in a, an attempt to be like, look at the, how much cooler these things are now. Let's just, let's just like have a bunch of that because it's so cool, which I find it disorienting. It, yep. It's like when there was models, there had to be more of a thought towards like scale and mm-hmm. positioning, I guess. Right. But when you got, like, Anakin swooping around or, like, let's try spinning, that's a good trick. I can't believe it's not gravity. What am I looking at here? Right. Right, yeah. And it does, like, as with the lightsaber battles, it just, like, loses all stakes because it's so long. Yeah. And the goal is entertainment. So what emotional stakes are you going to have when the goal is for me to be like, ooh, shiny? (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, there's no restraint. Like, thinking at the end of um, Phantom Menace, there's four fronts to those fights, or three fronts to the fight. There's the Gungans with the glowy balls. Oh, my gosh. There's – no, it's four fights. There's Padme and her, like, security guard taking – Viceroy hostage. Yeah. There's the duel of the fates. (laughs) We will negotiate a new treaty. And then there's Anakin blowing up the control droid thing in space. Yeah. And it's like – this is terrible. Yep. No, just like, yep. uh, this is not like an isolated phenomenon with the whole overly long, overly elaborate flashy battle sequences. Because like, for the longest time, I thought, I just thought action was boring. But then like, I, like, it, it was, it was seriously like book two of Avatar The Last Airbender, where I discovered that no, action scenes don't have to be boring. Right? And now I'm spoiled. It can be good and driven by characters. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. Like, I'm even trying to think of uh, Legend of Korra at the end of book three when she and Zahir are flying around like Super Saiyans. Yeah. But, like, it's done well. You always get the sense of space and distance traveled and mm-hmm. all of that. And it's based, you know, she's just kind of going crazy in the Avatar state in, like, full force. But there's still emotion behind it. Yeah. And, you know, like, I- there's... There's this way of, like, Game of Thrones is better at this than the prequels, where the prequels were ridiculous. Where, like, the characters were so fucking invincible and not human behaving, like, physically Mm -hmm. human behaving, that is just like, okay, there's, there's goes, there goes all the stakes again, right? Right. Like, when Yoda's jumping off the walls and you're just like... Like, Christopher Lee fighting Hayden Christensen and Ian McGregor at the same time. And being and able... evenly matched. Right. And, yeah, being able to hold his own against, like, two much younger, fitter mm-hmm. men, one of whom is supposedly, like, the most powerful force wielder ever. <laughs> but Anakin dual wields at one point, so it's interesting. <clears throat> oh, my God. Let's not talk oh, about dual wielding. Oh, oh but let, oh, let's talk about Yoda, though. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, no. Let's let's talk about tiny little spinny spinny Yoda gremlin. I mean that was just such a misstep. Like yep. just it was the worst decision ever made. <laughs> just, it was bad. But he had a and people of- loved it is the thing that kills me. I'm sorry, size matters not, and he's like this little flippy dude with a little flippy lightsaber, like what? How does this fit with anything that we've learned at this point about Yoda? It doesn't. It doesn't. It, it's the opposite of what we've and learned. And he about also Yoda. looks ridiculous. And what are you going to do with a little sword? And, and and like like the rest of the prequels, just like what we learn is that Yoda's a complete idiot. So why not? Yeah, that's kind of true. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I want to actually uh, talk about dual wielding and use that as a terrible transition into Game of Thrones <laughs> because. I think Game of Thrones, the action is an end in and of itself, and you need to look no further than in season six, the Tower of Joy sequence, which is this really in the books, it's a fever dream that Ned has. I mean, in in the books, like, it kind of cuts away just as the fighting's starting, you know? Yeah, because it's- Like, all all we really know about that fight is that, like, only Ned survived, that Ned and Helen survived, that's all we know about it. And like how he feels about it. Yeah. And it's, and it's important it's is that he was up, sad that he had to kill these dudes that he admired. He's sad. It was inevitable. And it relates to this deep, dark secret that he has yeah. that has kind of explained all his actions. <laughs> In the show, they decided to make it this horrible fight sequence <laughs> with really two guys, one of whom has a famous sword, but then he whips out a second sword. That's what I don't understand. Like, I, like it's been more than a year and it hasn't been any clearer to me. Just like, and it's not like they ignore the sword. They like 
make it important. And then he pulls out another one. And you're just like, one or the other. Like, so it's two guys. It's two guys. One of whom has two swords fighting six guys because let's just arbitrarily change numbers. Yeah. And because dual wielding is not like a natural thing to do in this setting with these types of swords, no. the choreography had to be very like choreographed. Yeah, like so you, just, that, you don't, you know, you don't dual wield with those kinds of swords. You just don't do it. Nope. So you can see people standing in the background, like waiting for their turn to lunge. It's terrible. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the whole thing is framed like Bran being like, I heard stories about this fight for years and years. This is I know how fight. it ends. Yeah. Except this that it was so have. famous. <laughs> I know. Okay, so um, what happened, I think, in Game of Thrones with the action sequences is that they had Blackwater in season two that was extremely successful and extremely well done. That was like, that's how you do an action episode. Yeah. And then after that, they got into this place where where they were just like, okay, we need to have a giant action sequence in the penultimate episode. Well, season three didn't, because that had the Red Wedding. Yeah. Um, But then season four, they were like, well, we need the thing Mm -hmm. for the penultimate episode. But the second half of Storm of Swords isn't really structured like that. It's structured where there's like a bunch of things, but they're not like, the thing. So... They decided to make this big battle spectacular at the wall, even though in in the books, I'm sorry, that's not how. Um, it's it's this long drawn out yeah. sort of onslaught. It's it's a siege, one. yeah. And there is a moment when Stannis shows up, but then like you know, the point is kind of how relentless it is. Mm-hmm. But instead, they made it the battle episode, and you know, <laughs> there was, was that giant sigh. <laughs> Remember that? It was well Oh my gosh, I'd forgotten about that giant side. There's Ollie nodding after. (laughs) Oh man. And like, Watchers on the Wall was like, okay, this isn't badly done. You completely fakocked John and Bran's storylines to make this happen because the pacing was atrocious to get to this. Mm -hmm. But then it just started getting worse and worse. Season five, the big action set piece was Hard Home, actually in episode eight. Yeah. Um, and that was taking something that was supposed to be creepy and atmospheric and making it another battle. Yeah, because in the source material, there is no battle at Hard Home, and no. I'd be very surprised if there could be at this point. And, but this like Hard Home as a place is, yeah, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be creepy. It's supposed to be about like, Dead yeah, like it's the, the same kind of thing at the wall. It's the kind of like relentless, like picking people off at the edges and like. It just pissed me off because all the viewers like, oh, they needed this because it showed the true stakes of the series. It's like, did you watch the first scene of the first season? Because that had zombies in it too, you know? And if people don't know the stakes, it's their own fault because they keep foregrounding all this bullshit in the South. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then, yeah, it was Hard Home in season five. And really the plotline was just watch John swing a sword. Also, all the designated heroes are fine somehow. But the Smurfette wildling that we just met dies. Yeah, and that was uh, in terms of in terms of that particular aspect of bat- bat- Battle of the Bastards was a lot worse. Where oh like my God, the everybody the in the world dies, but nobody with a name. No, that was except so for bad. the bad guy, Karstark ba- guy. <laughs> and yeah, well, in, the Battle of the Bastards in season six was like, oh, the stakes between John and Ramsay. Except when you rewatch it, you realize like there is no reason for them to be fighting this battle on this day. It's just one day. John's like, we're fighting now. Yeah. Battles have been won with. And the sides. fact that the like, the fact that it's them that are fighting is also kind of contrived. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. So we're kind of rambling, but our point mm-hmm. is that these action sequences just don't justify themselves at all. And when you watch them, you're like, good job on your media project, you yeah. know, Michael Spocek, but like, or Miguel, I forgot his name, the the director who did yeah, that. I, I think there was a lot of like, kind of logistical problems about the bastards that weren't there in Hard Home, but just, yeah. And then, and then season seven's mm-hmm. action set piece was so contrived to get to it that even the fans were finally mm-hmm. like, okay, this is bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> This doesn't make any sense. And I think what pisses me off is that in both these pieces of media, it's the action that gets the accolades, you yes. know? Because that's the one tangible good thing you can point to in this, because it's, like, well done, right? But there's no state. But, like, like you said, it's, like, good job on your media project. Like, yeah. wow, they're able to hire, like, good horse wranglers. Like, good for them, you know? But Right. <sighs> right. Well, it's, like, it confuses, like, the idea that if something is pretty to look at and well shot that it's meaningful 
Mm. Yes. But like, and th- and there's a difference between that and like, as I, you know, in one of our little breaks while we were recording, like the scene in The Last Jedi, which is my, that's my favorite scene, which is the scene where Emmalyn Haldo, like, just stro- spoiler oh alert, like, is the scene with Emmalyn Haldo. Uh, Vice Admiral Haldo. I don't think they say her first name in the film, but like Vice Admiral Haldo. Like that is a beautifully shot scene. Mm-hmm. Like c- the cinematography is on point. The sound editing is on point. Like it's yeah. gorgeous, but it also has emotional stakes. Yeah. And so that's what makes the, like that is far like those. It's like maybe 30 seconds, but like those 30 seconds in that movie are more powerful and more like they stuck with me more than the like 20 minutes of like <laughs> pod racing slash like young Anakin doing his spinny flying thing to destroy the droid control ship in the Phantom but that's Menace. That's a good trick. Because like because like there are no emotional stakes. Like yeah, it's pretty to look at. Like yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, the cinematography is is nice and like mm-hmm. the the visual effects are lovely. They did a great job. They hired some really skilled people. But there's mm-hmm. no emotion there. Like, but it, yeah. but it confuses, like, something is pretty with something is powerful, and that's not the same thing at all. Something can be and beautifully just, done without being, like, meaningful or significant or having emotional weight. Right, and it, it just becomes a crutch for these movies, because right. there's just no substance. I just, I just, like, remember in the Battle of the Bastards, when they've been cannied and they're all sur- surrounded and, like the Boltons yes, are killing yes. them. There's this, like, whole thing where, like, you know, you have, like, our four named characters, and they're kind of, like, standing there in a circle, and the music is swelling, and they're all, like, and you're just, like, what idiots? <laughs> you know, like, you're not, you're not, like, feeling anything about even, like, like you know, you, you don't believe for a second that they're about to die, first of all. Oh, God, no. But just, like, like you're not, you're not getting that kind of, like, gravitas of just, like, like, where, what, like, well, that you had in The Last Jedi where you're just like, you know, this is someone who's dying for a reason, both doylessly and Watsonianly, you know, right. and like right. you feel that. Right. Yeah. Or even even in Blackwater mm-hmm. when Tyrion was like badly injured and you think he might be dying. Yeah. Like that was impactful because there is. Was- it was impactful because you can tell Bush. what it took for the character to get to that place. Right. Yeah. Yep. For John to get to the place he was in, he just was a big idiot. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, th- that's uh, that's our spiel for that. How many more of these do we have? I think two. we have two more. <laughs> two more GOT versus prequels. I love these so much. I'm sorry if these are getting grading, but I think they're so much fun. However, we are going to look to 2018 with optimism and our resolutions coming up. Force not make one great. <laughs> So for our last segment of this episode, we are just hit the new year. I guess if you're listening to this, uh, for us, it's, you know, New Year's Eve is tomorrow. We're recording this Mm -hmm. on Saturday. So it's always a time to look back over the past year and also look forward to what you're thinking. Um, I wrote a bit of a silly piece called the uh, Fandom Resolutions for 2018. And I had like 10 suggestions in there for resolutions, things like, you know, engage with the type of fan work you never have before, or walk away from one fandom fight. <laughs> uh, so we are going to do our fandom resolutions and any hopes for 2018. Julia, go first. Um, I'm kind of in a bad fandom place right now. I don't like it. Um, mm. I'm get- just, mm. I, I'm sick of all these dumb people and all this arguing. And um, I want to do something about that. I want to rediscover my love of fandom. Mm. I'm not sure how. <laughs> well, I wouldn't start with Game of Thrones. Uh, well, I think that would help me rediscover my love of snark. Like, <laughs> I'm. I, That's true. I don't. I'm not incredibly optimistic about that because season seven was just such a boring piece of nothing. But uh, yeah, like I think I, I I have to find something I can love again. I would like to do that. I will never love again. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good movie. That is. It's Princess Bride is never. Is never good. yet. Is never not the right thing to watch. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you know what, Julia? Engage in the Princess Bride fandom. Oh my god. It, it must be a shithole. It's probably not. It's probably just everyone, but no one really talks about it or analyzes yeah, it. Yeah, it's true. Analyze the Princess Bride. 
well, there's some interesting gender critique, I guess you could do. Oh, yes, for sure. Like, why is she just standing there while he's taking care of the rodents of unusual size? Have you read the book? No. I, re- I highly recommend the book. Ooh, there's sex in it. <laughs> but also, like, that's kind of, like, he's taking a piss at, like, fantasy stories. And also at 19th century literature. In general. I like 19th century realism. Like, he's he's mocking it. And it's pretty hilarious. So, like, there's a point, like, yeah, Buttercup is really dumb. And I think there are some implications for that. But, like, that's kind of his point. Is, like, these female characters are already, like, are always written to be really stupid. So why not just actually okay, make her dumb? Anyway, um, you, no, Julia, I think I think you should read that book and engage in the Princess Bride fandom. And if that's too much, I think you should watch Winning London and re-engage in the Mary Kate and Ashley fandom. <laughs> it's on my schedule. That will get your snark back. Uh, okay, that's true. I don't. I can't. I can't imagine. Like, I can't imagine sitting down and writing one of those right now. Just like I don't know. I don't know what's happened okay. to me. I've lost my mojo. Well, you better get your merger back before our first retrospective. This yeah, month. <laughs> <sighs> it'll be fine, lady. Okay, you go, Gretchen. Um, my fandom resolutions. Um, for me, like my biggest one is engaging with new pieces of media. I think. Um, I have several people who are very kindly yelling at me to to watch some things. <clears throat> I won't name names, um, but two of them happen to rhyme with um, Wiley and Gulia. So, um, so, and what show are, are they? Rec- this is interesting and new information to me. Yeah, right. Um, you wouldn't happen to know anything about this. Um, I definitely want to watch Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Yes. Um, I want to watch. Um, Oh crap, I'm so bad with names. Um The Bold Type. Yes. Um is another show that I want to watch. <laughs> and um and The Get Down. Those are my three that like I want to watch soon. So That is good. Yeah, that's my like that's my resolution. I mean, I would like to continue my Kylie wrote about this a little bit in her piece. I would like to continue my resolution to um to only read uh, sci-fi and fantasy books by women and people of color. Um, I'm going to try and do that again because, like, to me, like, this this last year has been really important, but also there were several months where I didn't – where I didn't have a lot of time to read. So um, I felt like while I, while I did follow through on my resolution, like, I could have done it better because I didn't read a whole lot for, like – a fourth of the time or a little bit more. So like, I, I'm going to try and do that again because I just think it's a really eye opening experience to engage with like a, a genre of literature that I love from different perspectives. And I've found books that like, I probably wouldn't have found elsewhere that I've loved. So, um, those are my two things that I'm going to focus on this year. How about you, Kylie? I was going to say, I'm in a very similar spot to you as in I need to engage with new media. I'm like, I, ca- I can't rewatch the things that I've been rewatching over and over again. Mm. I just can't keep doing it. Um, I mean, they're good and I could, <laughs> but <laughs> it's not good for me, I don't think. Uh, so yeah, there's a bunch of shows that have been recommended to me, but I think my biggest goal is really to read. Mm. Uh, I really didn't read that many fiction books in 2017 i read a ton of nonfiction, um and i think maybe having i think that got me a little bummed out oh so sometimes a break from reality is good yeah yeah i've been Um, watching way too much msnbc yeah and just yeah just a general putting aside that time you know like when i relax at the end of the day i'm watching twitch streamers and i'll just spend an hour watching twitch streamers i don't need to watch other people play video games i like to but I, you know, I think I could just pare that down. Um, then there's been a ton of TV shows that have been recommended to me, uh, that I know I've been meaning to check out. And, and, uh, I also want to like make myself, I love going to the movies alone, but I, I don't go to the movies a ton. Mm. And I just want to make myself go to the movies for a movie that doesn't necessarily like super excite me, but you know, 
no, I'm going to go. I'm going to spend the money. I'm going to have popcorn for dinner and it will be fine. <laughs> um, oh, that that said, there's a bunch of movies that actually are really exciting me. Like uh, Black Panther looks yes. amazing. A Wrinkle in Time. Yes. A Wrinkle in Time looks amazing. Oh, like, gosh. I really, really want to go see yes, those. Yes, those and two. The, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I just want to see uh, I, Tanya. I, I still haven't seen it. Yeah, and I am looking to move soon. So if I end up in the same town as Griffin, he actually like goes to movies like a normal person. He just <laughs> no. goes to them. So uh, I think that will be an easier resolution to fill. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but yeah, definitely, definitely reading. I just need to put aside time to read. Uh, remember that weekend, uh, Gretchen, that I spent reading the um, the Abyss the, duology. The Abyss Duology, which is like fine, but that I felt so energized after reading. It's like, yes, books. I, I forgot. <laughs> and they were really light reads. So the first on my list is obviously Bloodlines by Claudia Gray yes. on uh, Princess Leia. And I, I see no reason why I couldn't read that very soon. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, that's it. And uh, in general, I hope that. 2018 is a place of fandom nuance. Yes. Oh, that would be nice. Oh. That would be super. If nice. only I prayed, I could pray for that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. But I'll start with Gretchen watching Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be like, yeah. Let's 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 make that a goal so we can just check it off because Gretchen will love that show. Okay. All right. Well, let us I got my boyfriend your... to watch it. He loves it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Gr- Griffin loved it too. Um. Let us know your fandom resolutions for 2018 or hopes and dreams or anything in the comments below. Also, let us know what you thought of The Last Jedi. Oh, I'm sure oh, you will my other, it invites. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, the other thing I'm excited about is that we're, uh, we're getting a Padme novel. So, um, <laughs> so she can princess buttercup all over the place. <laughs> no, see, I have a feeling like with, I just, I super hope that they're going to like, Make her not dumb. Well, yeah, they're gonna do. I my sense is they're probably gonna do what what Claudia Gray has done with the Leia novels, which yeah. is like retcon the fuck, honeypot. Like yeah. it's like retcon and recontextualize the fuck out of some of the worst aspects of the um the original trilogy. Maybe there will be like a law that you can't date and date when you're a senator. <laughs> And it's a gender-neutral You know, one of the things that the prequels and Song of Ice and Fire have in common is that there's way too many celibate orders of things. Right. (laughs) Like, why does everyone have to be celibate as soon as they make a lifelong commitment? That's a good point. (laughs) All right. Well, that is our show. If you enjoyed what we were talking about, uh, definitely stay tuned, subscribe to our feed, and tell others to do the same. You could also read, uh, read. You could write a review or rate us. That helps us be discovered. Uh, definitely keep your ears peeled for a Star Wars only episode that's coming. Yep. Then also you can keep up with our writing and stuff on thefandamentals.com. I'm sure we're going to have lots more on Star Wars because that is never going to stop. what we do stop. now. Yep. It's never going to stop. Star Wars until we die. Uh, yeah. And that is about all. So thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. Bye everyone. Bye. Goodbye. And then, and then, season seven's action set piece was so contrived to get to it that even the fans were finally like, okay, this is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. It, no, it doesn't make any sense. There's a baby right here. Okay. <laughs> we can always tell when there's a, when the baby is around because your voice changes. <laughs> yes. It was really dumb. <laughs> I remember what we were saying? Right. <laughs> How dumb it was? She agrees. You can tell she, she knows these things.